You have stepped in the door of imagination and clarification. You've stepped in to the Question Zone. And now for the Question Zone on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Welcome your hosts, the Cowboy Apologist, Curtis Evelo and Dr. Brian Chilton. Coming to you from the mystic, majestic mountains of northwestern North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Hello, friends. My name is Dr. Brian Chilton. I'll be uh, your host for the next 30 minutes to an hour that we have together. Uh, we hope you're doing well wherever you may be. As uh, we mentioned, uh, this is at the outset, if you're joining us by the live stream, uh, this is a question zone series and on the questions on series uh, we discuss the questions that you have for us and so that's what we'll be we'll be covering all questions coming from our listeners uh, and uh, unfortunately tonight uh, Curtis Evelo our uh, trusty co-host our cowboy apologist he couldn't be with us tonight uh, as he's uh, tending to his daughter and family and uh, as I told him before and uh, you know, I communicate this with everyone the number one article on Bellator Christie is an article I wrote entitled family is your first ministry and it truly is and I, t- I told him that I reminded him that I said family is your first ministry take care of your family and so we want to continue uh, to remember Brittany, his oldest daughter, and his entire family in our thoughts and prayers. But all of these questions that you ha- that you hear tonight, uh, that we're going to discuss tonight, came from Curtis and some of his uh, family, friends, loved ones. Uh, some people, some of the, some of the questions he had heard and presented tonight. So even though Curtis is not with us on the live stream, he is still with us in spirit because all of these questions are questions that were presented to him. And I want to tell you, these probably are some of the very best questions we've received in quite some time. So we'll get into that here in just a few short moments. I do want to let you know about a scheduling change uh, that's come our way. Uh, Coming up uh, next week, now last week I mentioned Dr. Michelle Johnson was going to be on with us. She's going to come on with us next week, and she's going to talk about uh, she's going to talk about the issue of what is, she's going to answer what is the image of God known in theology circles as the Imagio Day. She's going to come on with us uh, on the episode, on the podcast, excuse me, next week. And then in March, believe it or not, I cannot believe we're already talking about going into the month of March, but we are. Uh, March 7th, we're going to have a panel discussion with Dr. Deanna Huff and uh, Ryan Pauley, he's in the doctoral program at Biola University. Uh, they're both going to join us on the podcast as we discuss what does it mean to be human, and we're talking about anthropology and transhumanism. Uh, transhumanism is a hot-button topic these days, and it talks about technology that's being integrated with the human physical body. And where do we draw the line? I mean, on one hand, there, there are uh, technologies available that help us help a person live a normal life or somewhat normal life 
if they've had if they have certain health issues but there are also some devices that seem to make individuals into what we would consider a superhero where do we draw the line we'll talk about that then we're going to move dr tj gentry's episode the institution of marriage on the 14th he'll be on with us there dr leo purser coming on the air on the 21st uh, answering the question why are we here as human beings We'll have an Easter reflection on the 28th, and then the rest of the schedule in April should be the same. Uh, and that will wrap up Season 7 for the Bellator Christie Podcast. Two months remaining, folks. This is insane. A little over two months remaining before we wrap up Season 7. Season 8 is going to be abbreviated somewhat because, uh, just, just, to, just to shoot straight with you, I've uh, been blessed and honored to be able to... Um, to start teaching uh, at, at a wonderful Christian college, uh, Carolina College of Biblical Studies, and so I may I may end up teaching a, uh, an additional class there, and maybe some additional opportunities for me uh, to uh, to teach as well. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But because of these added duties, and additionally, we have it's a very busy time at Bellator Christie. Our team is working on two books. I have a solo book coming out next year. Uh, we have one that should be released here in the next few months. Uh, we are working on another collaborative book project, which should be available at the end of the year. And then uh, uh, one of our team members and I are, are talking about uh, another book coming out, uh, in addition to the solo book coming out. So needless to say, it's a busy time. It's a busy time right now. So because of all that, I don't want to sacrifice the quality of the podcast just to have a high number of high quantity. I don't want to sacrifice quality for quantity. So uh, because of that, we're, we're going to uh, shorten up the number of episodes that we have available and have a 24 episode season coming up in season 8. And of course, we'll talk more about that uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Alright, let's jump into the episode at hand. And so we have some great questions on tap. And the first one is a big one. And well, let's just jump in. This comes from Pastor Eric. He and he writes: um, While I spent a few days really meditating on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, I was led to think more vividly about Jesus exalted in His resurrected body. This is the question then that came to me. Lately, I've been pondering and in wonder of the greatness of God, His personhood and triune nature. I started thinking about Jesus and the fact that he is presently in an incorruptible, resurrected body. Since Jesus is God, uh, since, since Jesus is God and has a body now, and we know that God does not change, is it possible that he has always had a body even before eternity? And that, in a sense, our physical bodies, minus the corruption, are a part of what it means to be made in his image. I am not uh, quite as caught up on the question. I realize there's a mystery here, but I've been turning over more thoughts such as while here doing his redemptive work, Jesus limited himself to a mortal body and his limitations and its limitations. Even though he is in a body now, there's no he's not limited to it, or rather his body is not limited the same way we are. And this leads to more and more questions. And so Pastor Eric, let me thank you first and foremost for your question and what a tremendously good question 
that is. So let me first of all start off with the easier question to answer before we dive into the more complicated matters that you that you ask. The first thing you asked is whether our body is part of what constitutes us being in the being made in the image of God. And I would say to that that I think that it is part of that image. I don't think it's all of the image, but I think it is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And there's a lot that goes into that. I think that our soul represents the the inner us, who we truly are, and the bodies are part of our being. And uh, so that is a very important thing to consider as well. But there's several things you mentioned in the question that I think uh, is, is very important to discuss. Uh, and, and one of the things is, one of the questions that come to my mind is, what is the eternal state of God? How did God exist from eternity? And so I think Thomas Aquinas, one of the great theologians of the past, can help us out in this regard. So he talks about God existing as pure actuality. Uh, pure actuality, or actus purus, uh, is a term used to describe the nature of God in that God is pure existence. He is pure being. Potentiality is the possibility that something could come into being. However, God is pure act or pure being, meaning that God is unchanging and has always existed. And if Jesus is God, then he also has existed as pure act and therefore has always existed as the eternal Son of God, as an eternal Son of God, the eternal Son of God. So just as the Father has always existed, so the Son has always existed as pure actuality. Now, when we talk about the being of Jesus, who Jesus, what Jesus would have been like before the Incarnation, uh, we see that uh, there's, there are things to consider here as well. Now, and this gets into some philosophy. So Aquinas was uh, an uh, Aristotelian. So Aristotle viewed a conjunction of the material world and the immaterial world. Plato held that there were these things called forms, these immaterial realities. We may even think of the spirit being like a form in that regard. Uh, and th But there was a distinction between forms and the material world. There was an immaterial world and a, and a material world. Uh, and I think uh, 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 Aristotle and Aquinas would agree with that. Uh, but there's more of a unity, you would say, with the Aristotelian concept. Um, now, I, I still think that Plato probably found a union there as well, but we, we won't get into that. Having said all that, the form is like a blueprint of the, th of the perfected state of a thing as it exists, and it can give shape to the material world. So... For Aquinas, he views this as the soul is like the form of a person. It's what gives the body shape. You can have a soul without a body, but you can't have a living body without a soul. It requires a living soul. So Aquinas definitely was a dualist. He definitely believed that there was a distinction between the soul and the physical body. Now, what does all of this have to do with Jesus. Well, Jesus tells us that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him as in spirit and truth. 
And this brings us to the immateriality of God. Uh, material beings are part, uh, are, are, um, or, or God is immaterial. God by nature doesn't have material parts, but God can interact with the material world in a fashion that we may not be able to. Uh, so again, Jesus says God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, John 4.24. Uh, he also says in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Hebrews 12.9 says, How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? So according to these verses, God is invisible. He is, he is immaterial, beyond the scope of the physical world, and an immortal spirit. Now invisible doesn't mean he's not real. In fact, I think God is very visible, but he has made himself invisible, hid himself from us, not for his well-being, but for our well-being, because in 2 Peter and the book of Revelation, it tells us what happens when God's full power is on display. Peter uses the phrase, the heavens will roll back as a scroll. The very elements of the physical world itself will melt next to the amazing, awesome power of Almighty God. Okay? So, God is imperishable. He is spirit. So, Jesus must have existed prior to the incarnation as a spirit because if Jesus had a body before he had a body, if he had a physical body before he had a physical body, how would he have entered into Mary? Uh, you see what I'm saying? So he couldn't have had a physical body as we have a physical body before the Incarnation. Um, so it, it's, I think the limitation part that we, talk, that we hear about in Scripture where Jesus limited himself, I think that's talking about the Incarnation itself from the time of his birth, his physical birth, at the time of his resurrection, he was limited in scope because he had a body like ours. He limited himself, even though he could have called legions of angels to the cross to come to his aid. He had the authority to do that. He didn't. He limited himself. He limited himself in scope in many different ways. Okay, so I don't believe that Jesus had the same type of body as he has in the Incarnation. And I, but I also think that the pneumatikasoma, the resurrected body, is not going to be exactly like this body. It can't be. It's got to be above and beyond the scope of this body. Because Jesus himself, look at the risen Jesus. Jesus himself could materialize and dematerialize at will. At one moment, he's standing before the disciples eating broiled fish. At other times... He's gone. He, in fact, he was seen by two people going down to the road of Emmaus, to Emmaus, uh, had supper with them, broke bread before them, and before they knew it, he disappeared, materialized in Jerusalem uh, and before all the disciples. This, this resurrected body is going to be amazing. 
And the Bible says that Jesus' resurrection, he serves as the first fruits to our resurrection. So when we celebrate Easter coming up here in, in about a month, we not only just celebrate we not only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in the past, but we also anticipate that amazing resurrection that we'll take part in when Christ returns. So here's the thing we've got to also ask. How does God interact with matter? The immaterial God spoke and brought the material world into existence. And how nice would that be? Just to simply speak and the house be clean. Just to simply speak and things get done. That's the power of Almighty God. Now this is not only visible by, uh, by the Bible and what we learn about God in the Bible, but we also see uh, interesting scientific truths uh, that stem about from the quantum world, especially quantum entanglement and cosmic observers. It's been, it's been viewed or it's been studied and observed that certain bosons in the quantum world are changed once an intelligent being observes them. It's crazy. And don't ask me to explain how it works because I don't know, and quite frankly, I don't know if many scientists understand how it works either. But God was able to speak and material things come into being. God was able to take physical forms as we see in the Old Testament by the in the angel of the Lord. Uh, spiritual angels were able to manifest themselves before uh, beings. God himself was able to manifest himself before human beings in various different ways and fashions. So what was Jesus' Lagos before uh, the time of the Incarnation? Well, if God is spirit and Jesus tells us that he is, and Jesus is equal with God, then Jesus must have existed as some type of spirit prior to the Incarnation. Just as the Father, Jesus could materialize as the angel of the Lord and so on and so forth. But, uh, but this, did this Incarnation bring a change to God? Well, not necessarily. Because since Jesus was able to do this prior, uh, prior to the in Incarnation, you know, he's just fully, furthermore, going about this with the Incarnation. But this also suggests that the spiritual body that we're going to receive uh, must must be able to do something quite similarly. And this is going to be our spiritual body, our pneumatokasoma, our risen body, is going to be far better than this one. It'll never age. It'll never weaken. It'll, it'll ne have, never have any of the physical health problems we have today. It's only going to get stronger. It's going to be like a superhero body that's able to do things that are beyond the scope of even our reasoning now. Jesus is eternal. We learned this in John 1, 1, Colossians 1, 16 and following. If Jesus is God and God exists of pure actuality, then Jesus is eternal with the Father. His Spirit has always existed. Jesus has always existed, even prior to the Incarnation. And in John 1, 1 through 5, we learn of Jesus being called the Lagos. And then in, John, in verse 14 of John 1, it says, And the Word became flesh. He became one of us. So, as the Lagos, Jesus would been the would existed as the wisdom of God, part in the creation process. In fact, Basil of Caesarea believes that God created all the forms, all the blueprints behind 
uh, all that exists in Jesus may have been part of bringing it into the material world. Possible. It's very possible. So what do we take from all this study, this information? Prior to the Incarnation, Jesus existed eternally. Uh, he must have existed as spirit before having a physical body, since he was God. Between the time of his birth and resurrection, Jesus limited himself to a physical body like ours. But after the resurrection, he serves as a first fruits of the resurrection that we'll all have, being raised with the spiritual body, or as we learn in Greek, the pneumatikos soma. The spiritual body is a kind of body that we'll receive, we will receive at the resurrection. The physical body is not the physical body is not restrained, uh, the, or the spiritual body, I should say, is not as restrained to the material world as is the present body. It's a spiritual body that can interact with matter in an all new fashion. It is going to be a body 2.0 and unlike anything we can imagine. If you want to learn more about the Pneumatica Soma, this resurrected body, then I encourage you to pick up my latest book entitled Conversations About Heaven, Difficult Questions About Our Eternal Home. We go into some more of these topics in that book and we talk about the spiritual body and give a fuller treatment of the spiritual body, that Pneumatica Soma, uh, in Conversations About Heaven. So I encourage you to go to your local bookstore. Uh, it's available on Amazon, uh, all the major retail outlets. Uh, go and, and pick up a copy of Conversations About Heaven. And, and uh, if you're interested in that, uh, I think it'd be well worth your time. So the second question actually uh, comes from a friend of uh, Curtis's and ask this question, they're really struggling, my understanding is the person's really struggling with their faith over the idea of UFOs and alien life. And the question is, how should Christians view and react to the publicity of the latest aliens, UFOs, UAP, some people call them, uh, when confronted by people who are deeply interested in the topic? Now, I actually wrote an article on this uh, on this this very topic, what, last year, I think it was. And I mentioned in, on this previous article, if available at Bellator Christie, uh, and I continue to stand by this, this uh, belief, that aliens, alien life, if they exist, in no way discredits the Christian faith. God is a creative God. God is a creative God. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that there couldn't be alien life. There are species of animals on planet Earth in the deepest recesses of the ocean that we have yet to discover. Where I mean, at last check, there are all kinds of strange fish toward the bottom of the ocean. There are, there are parts of the ocean's floor that we have yet to discover because the pressure, we can't, you know, a lot of time, a lot of it has to do with the pressure uh, of being down that deep. So, so we already know that there are creatures on Earth that we don't know about. But the Bible already tells us that life is not restricted to this planet. And you say, well, now how is that the case? Well, we learn about spiritual sentient, sentient meaning intelligent thinking animals, thinking beings. We learn about spiritual sentient beings through the existence of both angels and demons. These beings are not of this world, but rather live in this spiritual dimension. 
The Bible tells us that God created all that exists in the universe. And as we mentioned earlier, God is pure actuality. He's pure being. And he's the only being who can be that way. He's the only one who could, could truly be, have the divine name Yahweh, Jehovah, the I am that I am. He's the only one that could ever hold that title. As such, all life necessarily emanates from God. God is the creator of all that exists, even if there are billions upon billions of aliens across the universe, God is the answer to why anything exists. Uh, only God maintains the characteristic of aseity, pure self-existence. Uh, only God can exist as pure actuality, as we mentioned. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether aliens exist or not. At the end of the day, God is still God regardless, and God is still the creator of all that exists. Now, concerning the matter of salvation of alien sentient beings, there are two ways of looking at this topic. First, some hold that sentient beings do not require salvation, uh, we do know that sin infiltrated creation, impacted all of creation. However, angels do not need redemption because they never turned against God. Demons cannot receive redemption because they fr freely chose to rebel against God without necessarily being tempted. So it is possible that alien life forms, if they exist, do not require salvation if they never rebelled against God. It's, that's a possibility. Second, others hold, on the other hand, that all sentient beings require salvation since the entire universe was impacted by the curse of sin. If so, the aliens would then need to receive salvation offered by Christ since Christ died once for all. However, human beings are the ones that sinned. So could these other alien life forms, if they exist, be held responsible for what human beings have done don't know. <laughs> Quite frankly, don't know. Uh, could another alien being be accused of something that the human beings did? It's just, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know that there's any real way of knowing the answer until the day that we were to meet alien beings if they existed. Uh, then, then, then we could know what they knew about God, how receptive they were of God, and gauge their responsiveness to the gospel message. It's only then that you can know. But then, you know, I, again, do, do, do aliens exist? Do they not exist? I don't know. You know, and so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question uh, with interesting answers, regardless of how it lands. But as, uh, concerning the existence of aliens, if they existed, it in no way shapes my faith or impacts my faith because at the end of the day, God is still God, Jesus is still risen from the dead, and my salvation is found in Him and Him alone. So at the end of the day, there may be gazillions of, of aliens out there. They still all had to necessarily have come from God, who is the creator of the universe and everything in it. Um, so... Why would our faith be damaged by the possibility of some alien life form on another planet? Why would God be restricted to make life on this planet, seeing that God created the entire universe? I mean, we're just, we just occupy a small section on a small planet 
rotating around a medium-sized sun uh, between two armbands of one of one spiral galaxy among billions and trillions of galaxies in the known observable universe. Could we truly say that God was by necessity only required to make life on this planet? I don't think we can say that. Now again, is there are there other life forms that exist beyond planet Earth? The Bible tells us that there are because there are angels and demons that don't necessarily live on this planet. Uh, again, no matter what's out there in the cosmos, God is still God. So it doesn't impact our faith one iota. Now let's go on to the question three. Leading from question two, could, could or did Jesus' death atone only for earthly creation or all creation? Well, I think we, we already answered this question. I think, I think his death could atone for the sins of all creatures and uh, all sentient beings, if that should be the case. Second Peter in Revelation state that the present universe will roll back as a scroll one day. That means all of the universe, meaning that the old universe will be replaced and supplanted by a new heaven and a new earth. And the phrase new heaven and new earth is a euphemism for the entire known universe. So all beings from across the universe will be impacted by this cataclysmic event when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, but we should also think that if God reached out to human beings on planet Earth, then it is highly likely that God reached out to sentient beings across the universe in God's own way. That's up to God. That's his business, not mine. So, again, it's nothing that should ever shatter a person's faith one way or the other. So, question four. I think, were there five questions? Yeah, question four. Uh, super hot topic. Thinking as a pastor guiding the church, what pastoral thoughts and advice can we give to everyone coming into this next election year? My goodness, Curtis. <laughs> bring it out the big guns. Can't make it on the podcast, but bring it out the big guns. <laughs> I see how he's doing me. <laughs> no, I'll tease him aside. I kid, I kid. That's really a wonderful question and highly relevant. I would say that all of us need to remember that no politician and no political party has all the answers for what ails us. Often political pundits try to pit Americans against each other, whether it's white and black, whether it's Republican and Democrat or independent, conservative or liberal, believer or non-believer, Israel versus uh, Palestine, and so on and so forth. But we must remember that the ultimate promise we have in the pages of Scripture is not that the United States will be the best nation in the world. It's just not. The promise we have is that we're part of the kingdom of God. We are ushered into the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is already here, but is not fully actualized, it's the kingdom that Jesus brought with him. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. The second most important commandment behind loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the believer must remember as we head into the election season that their neighbor includes those who think like them and those who do not think like them. Friend, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a very serious question right now. If God meant that loving your neighbor as yourself included the person who has a different political opinion 
than what you hold, are you willing to love that person regardless? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Are we really willing and able to love those with whom we disagree? Jesus didn't say only love those people who think like you and, and look like you and talk like you and act like you. He didn't say that at all. He said love your neighbor as yourself and that includes anyone you come across. question is, are you willing to do it Jesus' way? And if you're not... Can you really say that you're a disciple of Christ? Just food for thought. So number five, last question. Whew. Got me sweating bullets here, Curtis. <laughs> How should Christians view or take in entertainment, movies, TV shows, sitcoms, comedy shows, so on and so forth? Well, that's, that's another great question. Richard Niebuhr uh, presented five ways that Christians have interacted with society throughout history. Uh, these five different uh, ways include Christ against culture, Christ over culture, Christ above culture, Christ in culture and paradox, and Christ as the transformer of culture. So, uh, and that's not the transformers like the 90's uh, cartoon. Uh, it's the transformer changing culture. So Christ against culture is the idea that the Christian should completely oppose culture and depart from it. This is the idea that Tertullian held uh, early in church history, Leo Tolstoy, and, and other, other groups who just separate themselves from the culture completely. Christ over culture, uh, this viewpoint looks at the Christian, that the Christian has no conflict with culture whatsoever. Peter Abelard, Albert uh, Ritzel, and many others uh, uh, hold this viewpoint. Christ above culture uh, maintains that Christ is over culture, but God may use elements of culture to guide the believer in their spiritual walk. Niebuhr argues that this has been the most dominant position in church history, as held by Thomas Aquinas, Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria, and many others. Uh, the fourth way is uh, Christ and culture and paradox. The Christian lives in tension between the two ends of the magnetic pole. The grace of God and the culture of the time is constantly in tension, so the believer balances between these two poles. Martin Luther and Soren Kierkegaard held this viewpoint. And then lastly, Christ is the transformer of culture. Uh, looks at as Christ is in the process of transforming the culture, all of culture is under the judgment and sovereignty of God, and so God is going to move to transform culture as we move along. And this was held by Augustine, John Calvin, and F.D. Maurice. In the end, Niebuhr, Niebuhr warns that we should not hold not hold one of these views exclusively, but that all have some warrant. And um, so I think that um, when we talk about this issue, it's important to understand the liberty that we have as Christians. Um, as Christians, we have the liberty to choose what we find useful and to abstain from those things that we find harmful. Uh, I think uh, I've been reading through a book that's been really good. I thought I had it in here with me. Uh, I don't know what I've done with it. Uh, I'll find it here in a minute. But it's uh, a little book written in the mid-80s by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in his book, Postman warns that, and this was happening in the 80s, he was concerned about a culture, and this was even under the Reagan administration, mid-80s, he was worried about a culture that was becoming inundated with an obsession 
of television with exception they were being obsessed with television and movies and things of this nature and spending less time in the printed word and even less time in reflection so the printed word conversations and time alone with God and oneself allows for reflective thinking thinking that will improve critical thinking skills unfortunately postman argues that we have generations of people uh, that are are that have less critical thinking skills than they did once before. Now, and a lot of this he blames, he lays the blame at uh, the obsession of technology, obsession with technology. So, no matter how you view culture, no matter how you view entertainment, you have the liberty to choose what you find beneficial. But but I do give I do offer one caveat. Don't become obsessed. Don't allow yourself to become obsessed with uh, modern media. Unfortunately, we have generations of people that have more information at their disposal than any point of history, yet also have generations of people who have the less ability to decipher truth from fiction, to distinguish right from wrong, with less critical thinking skills than in any other point of our human history. That is concerning. And why is this? Because we are so busy, we are so inundated with so many distractions that we don't take the necessary time we need and I'm preaching to myself more than anyone else, understand that, that we don't take the time we need, I don't take the time I need to stop and reflect on the material at hand, to use good critical thinking skills and to be good thinkers. Norman, the late Norman Geisler once said that a clear mind and a pure heart is dangerous to the devil. And I think it's important to make sure that we have a pure heart seeking after Christ and that we take time to ourselves to clear our minds, to decipher truth, and even take a time away from technology for a while. Now, I'm saying this. This is a little hypocritical, I know, because I'm saying this in front of a computer screen and two other screens beside me with a microphone and all kinds of technology to bring you this podcast on social media and through Spotify and different platforms. I'm using a lot of technology to bring this, and I, I understand and I recognize the hypocrisy behind my statement. But even still, we need to take the time uh, we need to take time to ourselves, take time alone with God, take time with our families. Because, beloved, understand this, working as a hospice chaplain, wor chaplain working in hospice, if you work in hospice, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. We are not promised another day. We're not promised a tomorrow. So live each day to its fullest. Make sure your heart's right with God so that when the time comes that we leave this earth, we know that we're prepared for the glorious uh, life awaiting us in heaven. Well, I hope, this, I hope these answers, uh, I hope you found a use, usefulness, and I hope you're blessed by uh, the answers uh, that, that I provided tonight. I hope they answered the questions at hand. Uh, by all means, if you have any additional questions that you would like us to handle, 
uh, here on our Question Zone episodes, go over to bellatorchristie.com. There's a page that you can go and you can submit a question uh, to our ministry team, and one of us would be more than happy to answer it either on this podcast uh, or on uh, one of our articles. Uh, we have wonderful ministry team with wonderful writers uh, think and great critical thinkers, and so uh, we would be most happy and most blessed to answer any question that you may have. Uh, this is Dr. Brian Chilton for the the uh, for our cowboy apologist who's at home with his family, praying for uh, a great healing for Brittany and uh, expedient healing for her, and uh, pray that our, our our brother and friend is able to make it back with us very soon. Again, for our cowboy apologist. This is Dr. Brian Chilton saying God bless, and we'll we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. The views expressed in this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.